Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. And would you join me as we ask the Lord to help us today to understand and apply His Word. Once again, Father, we come before Your presence in the name of Jesus to ask for Your help. We ask that you would help us <clears throat> to hear what your word says, to see it, to understand it, to apply these truths into our lives. We acknowledge that this is the work of the Holy Spirit in concert with the Word of God in our lives to produce the likeness of Jesus. Would you do that in us today, Father? And we'll give you thanks. Amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, in an article in Christianity Today, a woman wrote this in this article, she says, if as Jesus said, we cannot know the hour or the day of his return, and yet we're also to look to the signs, how are we to both be ready to go and resign to wait? According to the Apostle Peter, the scoffers say, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Where is this quote-unquote coming, he promised? It reminds us that the Lord's tarrying means salvation for more and more people. Still, Peter poses the question, what kind of people ought we to be? As you look forward to the day of God. His answer, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And then she shares this personal story of what it means to look forward to that. She said, when our middle son Ben was much younger, he had heard more than one sermon about the importance of surrendering our lives to Christ. Ben seemed well attuned to the heart of God. He exhibited the selfless and kind tendencies that would take some, like his mother, a lifetime of sanctification to acquire. So it disturbed my husband and me when Ben stubbornly resisted our invitations to him to give his life to Christ. He would offer no explanations. He would simply tell us in his preschool English he wasn't ready. He resisted for several months. And then one morning as we sat around the kitchen table eating our Cheerios, little Ben announced that he was ready to give his heart, to give his life to Christ. He then got up from the table and went upstairs. My husband and I looked at each other and followed him. I guess we expected to find Ben on his knees by his bed in prayer. We didn't. Instead, we found him folding his Star Wars pajamas into his Sesame Street suitcase. We said, Ben, what, what are you doing? I'm packing. Why, we asked, to go to heaven. We then understood why our child hesitated to give his life to Christ. 
He thought that in so doing, he would have to leave us and take up residence literally with Christ in heaven. And then she says, we should all possess the faith of little Benjamin. We should have our hearts so fixed on Christ's appearance that the attachments of our earthly life pale in comparison. We are aliens and strangers on earth, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Last week in our, in our we concluded our message toward the end of chapter 3 about intentionally pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ. And, and we looked at this point that we should eagerly await the return of Christ. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. He says, our citizenship is fixed in heaven. Uh, we are, um, our inheritance is there. Our citizenship is placed there. It's awaiting us till we get there, if you will. We also talked about the fact that one day we will be changed, right? This body that is, that is wasting away, that is decaying, will be renewed to, to a, a body that's like the resurrected Christ. We also talked about the incredible truth that one day we will meet Jesus face to face. We will see Him in all of His glory. We will, we will know Him more deeply than we even can now. And as we move into chapter 4, the Apostle Paul continues this theme in these first couple of verses of chapter 4. And he gives us in these couple verses a couple more thoughts regarding what it looks like to live as strangers and aliens in this world. Though our citizenship is in heaven, we are called to live here temporarily. What does that look like? What what does that mean for us? How do we do that? And so he begins, Therefore, Okay. In light of, in other words, in light of this reality of awaiting the return as citizens of heaven, he said, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of, God, of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Apparently there was a conflict between these two women, Eodia and Syntyche. These were women, not just, uh, just somebody sitting in a pew in the church. These were women who had, who had been part of the ministry, a vital part. They had been working together, sharing in the struggle with the Apostle Paul and Clement and, and many others in the advancement of the cause of Christ. And now, for whatever reason, there's a conflict. There's a problem. There's disharmony within the church because of this rift. And so Paul is, is giving a couple of thoughts regarding how we continue living in a fallen world with our citizenship in heaven. And the first is, he says, stand firm in the Lord. This is an imperative in the text. That means it is a command to us. 
Stand firm, verse 1, in the Lord, my beloved. To stand firm means to persevere, to, to be steadfast, to hold your ground. Don't uh, retreat. Stand firm in the, in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty, in the face of conflict, in the face of disharmony. That is, we need to be steadfast connecting to what we, we talked about in the last few weeks. We need to be steadfast in this pursuit of a deeper relationship with Christ. He says, therefore, right, in light of this reality in our lives, therefore, my beloved, stand firm. Keep pursuing it. Don't retreat. Don't give up. Even if things look crappy here. Even if, even if you look around and you see, man, nobody seems to be getting it. Nobody else seems to be going after the same thing. Steadfast in the Lord. Stand your ground. Don't retreat. Keep pursuing what you know you need to be pursuing. Regardless of what other people do. What does it mean for us to do this? Well, as I, I look back and made the connections with what Paul has been saying, a couple of truths stand out to me. The first is that we need to live in submission to the authority of Christ. Right? We need to live in submission to Christ's authority. You go back one verse when he talks about this transforming work from in our body to the, to the, the, the body of, of His glory. How? By the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. This whole idea of submission and subjection to Christ. It means to place ourselves willingly under one another person, under another person's authority. We see this in the military, right? Uh, you have to place yourself under the authority of your commanding officer. If you don't, it's chaos. In order for us to stand firm, we must, bring ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. And we do that willingly. He does not force that upon us. Though for the, again, for those of us who are reading through the Bible, uh, through the schedule, you would have read this past week through Mark 8. One of the things Jesus said there is, anyone who wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And as I, as I was looking at that, and that stood out to me, and as I was pondering that, there are four pieces to that statement, right? The first is, there is a, um, when he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, there's a desire that begins this process. Anyone who wishes to come after me. Not anyone who feels guilty for not and has to do this. It's anyone who desires this. If you want to come after Christ, He gives you the pattern of how to do that. So it begins with a desire, and the next thing is a denial. Deny yourself. A dying to me. A death to self. And then there is a taking up of my cross, which I believe and agree with, uh, with John MacArthur's statement about what this means, and that is that we publicly identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus and other thieves uh, that were hung with him on the cross carried their crosses, they were to carry them through the center of town 
to the place of crucifixion. And the purpose for that was uh, to identify with the crimes that they were being crucified for. Jesus, of course, didn't do anything wrong, but he identified with your crime and mine, our sin. And so he identified that we must identify publicly with Jesus Christ. I believe that's what it means to take up our cross. It's not just to say, hey, this, this person over here is a real burden for me, and that's my cross I must bear. That may be a, a, a difficulty, but I think when Jesus says to be a follower of his, you must desire to come after him, you must deny yourself, and you must identify with Jesus Christ. Your identity is found in him. And then lastly, he says, follow me. Obey. Walk with the Lord. The, but it starts with a, a desire, a willingness to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges makes this statement. I love this quote. Grace understood and embraced will always lead to commitment. Let me say that again. Grace understood and embraced will always lead to commitment. When you and I get it, when we understand God's grace that has been poured out to us through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, it will produce a desire to be committed to the one who loved me that much. And then the next thing he says is, commitment required will always lead to legalism. In other words, <clears throat> when we make people commit to something they have not fully understood the grace and willingly desire to do, it will produce a legalism. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Many of us grew up in conservative churches where there was a high emphasis on external behavior and oftentimes a lack of of teaching and understanding of the grace behind it. What does that produce? It produces people who make the externals the most important thing. And we evaluate one another based on external behavior. And therefore, we stand in judgment of one another when somebody does something that we would never do or doesn't do something that we find easy to do. And so we stand in judgment. And so we criticize and critique everyone else's Walk with the Lord. What does, that, what does that produce in a group of believers? I'm never sharing with them. I'm never talking about my, my struggle that I have because I know what's going to happen. Someone's going to be judging me and looking down on me. So I'll keep it to myself. And we keep everything to ourselves. And we never, the community of faith never functions as it's supposed to. When we come alongside each other, we encourage each other. We build each other up. We pray for one another. We help each other along. And then it produces this legalism that basically makes external behavior the, uh, the, the measuring of whether a person's saved or not. So we've got to be very careful in this process. We've got to start with grace and a healthy understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when, when that is, is understood and embraced properly, it will bring forth a willing desire to follow, to be committed to Jesus Christ. 
rather than having to coerce people. Apart from an authentic relationship with Christ in which we are living in subjection to Him, you will not be able to stand firm. Not when it gets hard. And so it's critical that we need to live in subjection to Christ's authority. The second truth, as I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how Paul talks about this whole thing about standing firm, he uses it about four, five, diff six different times in the New Testament. He uses this word. Basically, we need to be on the alert. 1 Corinthians 16 is one of those places where he, he used this word. And here's what he says in verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. What a great call to biblical manhood. <clears throat> be on the alert. That is, be aware of what's going on around you. Understand that there is a battle going on in the spiritual realm. Realize the days in which we live. This dark and perverted generation. This place that back a couple verses in Philippians chapter 3, 18 and 19, talks about many will uh, walk, of whom I've told you and now even tell you weeping. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their glory in their shame. And they set their minds on, the world, on worldly things. This is the world we live in. Be on the alert. Understand this. So that you're not caught off guard. And secondly, in Galatians 5.1, he says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking about legalism in Galatians. And freedom in Christ. Don't go back to a different legalism. If you, you've, you've realized that the law does not save, and then you come to know Christ, and then now, right, the Judaizers were trying to put a, restrictions on them and say, well, you have to do this as well to be, to be saved. And Paul says, don't go back to a, a yoke of slavery again. Be on the alert to these realities. Stand firm. In this same book, he uses the word, <clears throat> back in chapter 1 and verse 27. Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind or one mindset, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then he goes on to talk about the fact that there are opponents who are trying to take us out. There's difficulties we face. And even says, it has been granted for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So, be on the alert. Understand the times in which we live. If we're going to stand firm, it's going to require that I willingly submit to Jesus Christ's authority in my life. And that I'm aware of what's going on around me. And then he says, secondly, live in harmony in the Lord. And here's where he begins to address this conflict in the, in the church in Philippi between these two prominent women who were servants of God and who were um, partners in the gospel. The words there, live in harmony, 
Interestingly enough, that's the same exact word that he uses in chapter 3, verse 15, that he that translated attitude. Remember we talked about have this same attitude. Paul says, this is the attitude, right? I forget what's behind. I'm pressing forward to what's ahead. Press on to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. This is the attitude. This is the mindset. This is what required of us that we're going to live in harmony in the Lord. And if you recall, he used the same word back in chapter 2 when he says, have this mind or have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude was that? A humility of mind that puts others' needs ahead of your own. We need to regard others as more important than ourselves. This is absolutely essential if you and I are going to live out an authentic faith in Christ. Without this, without a surrender to Jesus Christ's authority, and without a, a mindset that says, I'm going to regard other people more important than myself, you will never live out the, the, the gospel well. Because your, yourself will get in the way. You will make it about you rather than about Christ because you haven't submitted to Christ's authority. You will make it about you rather than about what other people need and how you can be used by God in other people's lives. It's the mindset that Jesus had when he left the glories of heaven to come here to earth to give his life as a ransom for you and me. If he didn't have that mindset, he'd say, man, it's, it's nice up here. I like this place. Why would I go down there and take on human, human flesh and, and let them abuse me and die for them unless he put our needs ahead of his own? That's how Jesus lived as he walked this earth. And well, it's easy to say, well, you know, he was God, and so that, that was easy for him. No, it isn't. Because all you have to do is go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you see Jesus in his humanity struggling with the reality that he was about to go to the cross. And he says to the Father, not once, not twice, but three times, if this cup could pass from me, let it be so. Yet, and you know this, right? Not my will but thine be done. Submission to the will of the Father. That's how Jesus lived as he walked this earth. If Jesus had to live that way, which he provides a pattern of what human, it looks like to be humans in this world, then we need to live this way. We need to live in submission to him and his authority in our life. Paul sought to live this way. That's why he could say, follow my example. And those who have the same mindset as I do. In fact, he demonstrated this humility of mind as he speaks to them here. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He could have said, listen, Yodia and Syntyche, get your stuff together. Stop being like this. Come on. There's a bigger thing at stake here. Put your petty differences aside and let's get going. No, he urges them. Come on. I urge you, Yodia, I urge you, Syntyche. Live in harmony. And, and he, he calls on the church to come alongside and help them. There's a grace that he's, he's 
demonstrating here a humility. He refers to them in such affectionate terms. My beloved brethren, I long to see you. You are my joy and my crown. The word joy means cause of joy. You are the, the reason that I rejoice. You are my crown. This isn't a diadem, a, a crown that's on a, a king. This is a Stephanus. It's a, it's a crown of victory in the games. It's a, a crown of military valor, of nuptial joy and festal gladness. It's, it's the, the wreath that, that the, 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 the bride puts on with the flowers and everything as she's getting ready to get married. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of joy and celebration, gladness. Paul says, that's who you are to me. Because Paul sees them in this regard, with a humility of mind, their needs more important than mine. How do we do this practically? Here's a couple suggestions. Consider how your decisions impact those around you. Sometimes, sometimes we just we just making decisions. Whatever, whatever I want to do, whatever seems best to me, whatever I think I want to do, and then then there's a fallout to those closest to you who get impacted by that decision. As a as a, a husband and father, let me speak to to those of you who are husbands and fathers. We have to be careful. Because we could, we could just kind of rough, run roughshod in our home and just, well, this is what I want to do today. This is what I think we ought to do. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do for vacation. This is what I, blah, blah, blah. And then it's all about me. And the rest of us just kind of follow along. And there's no consideration that maybe they have a, a voice in this. Maybe they have a desire. Maybe they want to have a, a part in, in what's going on. Maybe it isn't just about me. Consider how decisions that you make impact people around you. Another way is to emphasize the strengths in others rather than talking about yourself all the time. Right? When you're in a conversation, show some interest in other people. So, uh, build people up. Encourage them in, in what you see happening in their life. You see something that they've done, they've uh, attempted to, to do something, and you say, well, you might even say, well, I, that's not the way I would have done it, but you know what, they... They gave their best effort, and I want to commend them in that. You notice these things. You, you encourage that in them. This is how we consider other people more important than ourselves. It, again, it, it's not that Paul is saying other people are more important. No. We're all equal at the cross. It's just that you live your life as if other people are more important than you. Our natural tendency is to make it about us. And so we need to work with God's Spirit in us. And be intentional about looking around and seeing how I might regard people as more important than myself. Building up rather than tearing down. Encouraging rather than criticizing. These are ways to do that. And then he talks about how these women were sharing in the struggle. And he provides a, a reminder to us of how to how to live in harmony and how to live in view of the return of Christ. 
And that is to strive together in the gospel. These women have lost sight of this. Guarantee you, before they had whatever rift they have, they weren't on, they, they didn't think the same way about everything, but they had a singular focus and a, and a goal, and that is to, to, to strive together for the gospel. And they kept their eyes fixed on that, and these other little things were less important. And once you take your eyes off of that, and you start looking to yourself and start thinking about yourself more, then these little things become big things in your mind. And you have rifts between people. They lost sight of what they were to be doing, of what their purpose here was. This idea of striving together um, is, about, is about teamwork. In fact, the word striving is translated from the Greek word that, that talks about an athletic contest. It, is, uh, it talks about cooperating together with other people, like, like athletes on a team will cooperate against a, a, a common opponent. And so he says, and one commentator says, Paul is exhorting the members of the Philippian church to work together in perfect coordination just like a team of athletes would work together. You have different strengths on a team. You have different abilities. You don't squabble back and forth and say, well, just because you can't throw the ball like I can, you're not valuable. No. You might be really fast, and you might be able to catch a ball, and you might be able to guard people, or, or you might be able to kick a ball really hard, and in other words, you might be able to guard the goal. And whatever the, you know, you, you look at, at, at the team, and you all have strengths, and you work together, and you use your strengths together. And Paul says, this is how the body is to function, the body of Christ. We're to work together in the cause of the gospel. Because we have a common opponent who is looking to destroy the work of the gospel. You realize that, uh, that Ukraine was one of, if not the largest sender of missionaries in all of that whole region of the world? It's no accident that they were targeted. By an enemy. This is not just a physical war going on over there. We need to strive together. We need to have a common focus. It starts with submission to Christ's authority. Realizing we're in a battle. And when you're in a battle, you put aside petty differences. You focus on the thing that needs to be done. As you put other people ahead of yourself. And then the last thing, how to live in harmony. is We need to work together to achieve harmony. He says, verse 3, indeed, true comrades, I ask you, help these women. They've been, in the past, on the same team, working together with Clement also, whoever Clement was, and we don't know much about him along with the rest of the fellow workers, the co-laborers in Christ. He says we need to be working to achieve harmony. We need to be helping each other work through these things. 
It starts with the individuals. He says, I urge Eodi and I urge Syntyche. He appealed to them first. Work it out. And then he asked this true comrade to help them work it out. So there is a responsibility to every one of us as individuals in the relationships we're in to work toward harmony. We're not going to see eye to eye on everything. We need to be working toward harmony because we've got a bigger task than just you and me and what we think or, or want. So we need to be working out. And then when we have an opportunity and we, we, you know, we're in relationship with each other and we see these two individuals man, are, not, are not working in harmony together, there's something there, we step in because we have a relationship with them. We step in and we, we try and help them resolve this. Now, I understand. Human relationships are complicated. And there are many depths to conflict. I believe that in this case, it was probably a minor issue. This probably wasn't an issue of abuse or an issue where, where there was some grievous sin that, that took place and, and there needed to be uh, you know, um, acknowledgement of that, confession, there needed to be forgiveness maybe, there needed to be reconciliation. All those things probably didn't, but maybe it did. But we just don't know. We're not told. He says, I urge you, work this thing out. Why? Because harmony is absolutely critical if we're going to live out our lives the way Christ called us to. If we're going to strive together for the gospel, we've got to strive to achieve harmony. We need to be people who can work with people. We need to be people who somebody else can work with. If you always have to have it your way, you're not. You don't play nice with people. You might think that because maybe the, the place you have come in life, everybody has to follow what you do because you're in a position where, where people are under that. You might think you work well with people because people line up behind, but you don't work well with people if it always has to be your way. You're not working in harmony. You're dictating. We need to work together. And we need to be people who are willing to help one another work out differences. This idea of a comrade, actually some translations have yoke fellow, because the word that's used there means uh, a yoke where two people are, or two animals were yoked together, and they had to, they had to work side by side together to, to get the job done, right? To plow the field or whatever the, the thing was that the, the uh, two oxen or whatever were yoked together had to do. And actually the word that's used here, some commentators believe that it's actually a person's name. It's, uh, it's pronounced... Sinzygos. Uh, and it may have been actually a person in the church's name. And Paul may be saying, hey, I appeal to you, Sinzygos. Maybe he was a leader in the church. I ask you to help these women work this thing out. One commentator said, it may be that Paul was summoning this one person, but it may have been that he was summoning Christians in general to rescue the troubled woman. In other words, he may have been basically saying, if any of you would live up to your place and duty as Christians... Take this yoke on you and help these women out of their tangled life. We all have a responsibility. 
to help each other. And in, in summary, this commentator, Alec Motyer, he, he says, it's not a matter of who's right or who's wrong. Or what rightness or wrongness exists on each side. He said, the plea, I urge you, is made to each of the, uh, of the women alike. No doubt each one says, I'm right and she's wrong, right? That's the way this works. You always believe you're right, or you would acknowledge it. No, you think you're right. Paul says both are under the same obligation to make the first move to resolve this problem. And maybe, just maybe, God has allowed you to be in a relationship with a difficult person. I'm not talking about someone who's abusive. I'm talking about just someone who's hard to deal with. Maybe God has allowed you to be in a relationship with this person because he wants to grow you up. He wants to show you what it looks like to love somebody the way he loves us. See, mo most of us think that we're, we're easy to love. Maybe we are easier to love by another sinful person, but probably not by a holy God who cannot stand to look at sin. You're harder to love than what you think you are. But God loves you in spite of that. Loves you through it. And He may be wanting to teach you and I how to love somebody who's hard to love. So let me ask you these questions as we conclude. As we think about the fact that Jesus is coming back one day, and maybe soon, is your relationship with Christ where you want it to be when He returns? I'm not talking about, you know, the fact that we all, we all know we're still in process and we've got to grow some more. I'm talking about is your surrender to Christ where you want it to be? When Jesus, if Jesus were to walk through that door and say, it's time to go, are you ready in that sense? First of all, are you ready because you know Christ personally? You trust in Him. But secondly, are you ready when, you, when He comes, do you want Him to find you where you are right now in your heart before God? Are you living in willful submission? And the second question is, are you in relationship with other people in a way where you want it to be when Jesus comes back? Because Jesus looks, He knows all this stuff, right? If He were to come back today, is He going to say to you, man, why, why are you holding on to that stuff? Why are you, are you fixated on that petty stuff right now, which is holding you back from being all that I want you to be? Why, why are you doing that? And you have no answer. Except, well, I'm just, I'm just being stubborn. Is that what you want when Jesus comes back? Or do you want Him to, to come and say, man, I'm, I'm so thankful that you have, you have kept short accounts. Not only with me, but with other people. Because you're, you're free for me to work through you. There's nothing holding you back. This past week, I got, I've gotten a couple different reports uh, from people who are connected to the Ukraine. Um, we, of course, we have one of our missionaries, right? Uh, Yuri. Um, I heard from the director from Gospel Link, who's directly connected. Gospel Link has about 50 pastors in the Ukraine. He said, I have not heard directly from Yuri. 
but I've heard from men who said, I'm not aware of one of our pastors who has retreated. They're all staying put. Because they know this is the hour of need. They are opening their churches to all the people who are now homeless to come. And they're, they're sharing whatever meager resources they have left food-wise. Not only that, but they're serving and feeding the soldiers who are coming into their country. They are caring for people regardless of whether they are friend or foe. One of my roommates from college, him and his wife, spent many, many years as missionaries over in Ukraine and in Russia and that whole region. They were just there. Uh, they just came home a week before the, the, the war started. They have really good friends that are there. And I, I read a, an email from him this week. His good friend, pastor friend, a really close friend, is in Kiev. And again, he's opening his church. He's already, already reported back that a young man has already come to know Christ. They're committed to staying there. What drives a person to do that? To stand firm in the face of that kind of evil that is being perpetrated into your, into your space. willing submission to Jesus Christ. This isn't about me. This is about Him. And I believe He's in control. I believe He's ultimately sovereign. And therefore, if He's allowed this, He has a purpose for it. And I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to do what He's called me to do. Represent Him here. Alert to the dangers, but staying put. It requires a a mindset that says other people are more important than me in this moment. Even those who are my enemies. I will treat them with love and respect. This is incredible. See, the reality is the war that's going on over there physically is no different than the spiritual war that's going on in our midst right now. We just don't see it. The only way you and I are going to stand firm in the face of the reality of what we're facing culturally and, and, and spiritually is if we have brought ourselves willingly under submission to Christ's authority, we understand there's a battle going on, and we are willing to stand here and consider other people more important than ourselves so we can minister to them effectively in the face of all that's going on. We pray for the conflict to be over. Pray for the conflict over there to be over. We pray for the conflict we face to be over. But this, this war is not going to be over until Jesus comes back. <clears throat> so stand firm. And let's live in harmony. And let's be what God has called us to be in this moment in time and history. So that he gets the glory and his kingdom is advanced until he comes back. Let's pray. Gracious Father, 
is only because of your grace that we have a relationship with you. It's only by your grace that we breathe and have our being. You're holding this world together. You're keeping us together. Would you help us to stand firm in the Lord as we submit willingly to Christ and His authority? Would you help us to live in harmony with one another as we put other need, others' needs ahead of ourselves? As we strive together for the gospel, as we work toward unity and harmony in our midst. So that our lives might honor Christ. Our community might honor Christ. We might have the incredible privilege in standing firm in the face of opposition to meet the real needs of people around us. And that is their need for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Thank you that we get the privilege of serving you in these days in which we live. Hard days. We probably all would wish things to be different. But then we wouldn't need you again. And so thank you that you never abandon us in our greatest hour of need. Lord, you never abandon your, your people in the Ukraine. You are with them in the face of this opposition. God, would you help us stand firm? Would you bring many people, both Ukrainians and Russians, to Jesus Christ because of this? And would you deal with this crazy man who is leading the charge? Bring him to justice, oh Father, for the glory of your name, for the building of your kingdom, for the good of your people. We ask it in Christ's name.